Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Ruben Schultz, who is the co-founder of Swoop, a company that's on a mission to make group transportation accessible, transparent, and affordable for everyone. So you can think of charter buses, limos, vans, and recently closed a $3.2 million seed round. In this episode, we talk about a wide variety of topics going through how Swoop got started, how Ruben decided to quit his job at Facebook to join Swoop full-time, how the talk of equity splits went with him and his co-founders, what they've done to grow Swoop since the beginning, the fundraising side of the company as first-time founders, and how they've pivoted in the time of COVID when there aren't many groups that are traveling. We go through what they did with that as well, and so many more topics in this episode. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hawk Media, a full-service outsourced CMO based in Santa Monica, California, providing guidance, planning, and execution to grow brands of all sizes, industries, and business models. Hawk Media is recognized by Inc. as one of the fastest-growing marketing consultancies, and their collaborative process, a la carte offering, and month-to-month fee structure give clients the flexibility they need to boost digital revenues and marketing ROI. Hawk Media, the company, has serviced over 1,500 brands of all sizes, ranging from startups like Tomorrow Melon, SIO Beauty, and Bottle Keeper, to household names like Red Bull, Verizon Wireless, and Alibaba. And also, I had the founder and CEO of Hawk Media, Eric Huberman, on the podcast in episode number 23, if you want to take a listen. And to get a free consultation, head on over to hawkmedia.com and be sure to mention Just Go Grind. Without further ado, here is Ruben Schultz, the co-founder of Swoop. Ruben, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for taking the time to come on the show today. And see, we're talking about your company, Swoop. And, and for people who aren't familiar, there's a few different things, but what are you doing? What is Swoop? Um, I think that's a great place to start. So at Swoop, at a high level, we solve uh, group transportation. And how we define group transportation is any vehicle that's uh, larger than an SUV. So think about SUVs, uh, coaches, sprinter vans, but then also large buses that are uh, used for uh, commercial transportation. And how the industry is split up today is that you have all of these small mom and pop shops, 44,000 in the US, who own anywhere from three to four vehicles, but it's very decentralized and there's very little technology in this space. And how Swoop is solving the problem is that we built SaaS, so we built software for these operators to run their business. And what this means in practice is if you're an operator, say, uh, in Los Angeles and you own four buses, then you can use the Swoop software to run your business more effectively. For example, managing your orders, your trips, seeing where your vehicles are, managing all payment um, and anything that that a business owner needs in the industry they can solve with the Swoop platform. And then one added benefit that we provide is we saw that vehicle utilization is incredibly low in the industry. So vehicles are only used 5% of the time. Oh, wow. So we also have a demand generation arm where we support the businesses in getting more leads. So we have partnerships with large businesses uh, during COVID with a lot of uh, delivery companies and any type of uh, vehicles they need, they come to Swoop and then we forward those leads onto the operators 
that are on the platform and we don't own any vehicles ourselves. So there we mainly act as a, as a channel partner or as a marketplace. I love it. There's so much to dive into with what you mentioned as well. And I always like to start as well talking about how this in, in the beginning was. So how did Swoop get started? Where did this idea come from, Ruben? So one of the co-founders, Amir, his parents own uh, a group transportation business. So they own six party buses here in LA. I'm actually working out of their garage during COVID. <laughs> um, so, so that's where I am right now, in case you hear any background noise. And um, we saw at an early point that one vehicle utilization was very low. And the, the big, big learning we had is that they really manage their business in a very outdated fashion. So think about calendars on the wall, maps on the wall, putting uh, everything down in pen and paper and not making use of any tools that we're so accustomed to in other industries. Um, and e even little things like automated text messaging through Twilio or automated emails through SendGrid are things that we're providing to the operators, but it's something that's never been done in the industry before. That's a little bit of the, the, the story of how it all started. Obviously, when we first started, we made a lot of mistakes and the <laughs> business model was kind of like an Uber for party buses. But then we realized that there were so many operational inefficiencies in this industry that the on-demand uh, business model wasn't working. And the other thing we realized is that no one orders large vehicles on demand. Yeah. Right? So we do a lot of weddings also, or the operators do a lot of weddings and corporate travel. Those are booked months ahead of time. It's not like you're getting married and then on the day of, you're like, oh, I need transportation for 50 people. Like, right. Of time. So, yeah, there, there, there's definitely been some, some, some changes um, in how we approach the problem. But the, the problem has remained the same and uh, the, the mission has also remained the same. Yeah. And, and from that as well, Ruben, understanding like, yeah, it, oftentimes businesses this change, they pivot, they have to adjust as they kind of get that feedback from being in the marketplace. And, and with soup, obviously you said like it, it was one thing at first, it's kind of evolved because you realize it wasn't really on demand. And obviously you're a software company on this side. How are you getting the, um, the people on the platform early on, especially? Yeah. So we really did it through, um, it's, it's, so first, we just did it through network, word of mouth type of thing, right? So you have Amir's parents who own a business. They know some other people. And that's really how it started. And then now we just have a, have a lead form and we just do some diff different marketing efforts, essentially, like posting in groups where they all are. They have these WhatsApp and Facebook groups and just letting them know. Um, and and I, I think that's been working really well. We're a little bit lucky with this early audience in that they, there's not a ton of competition or there's not a ton happening in this industry yet. It's been historically very overlooked. So the user acquisition piece is not necessarily the, the, the biggest problem we're trying to solve right now. Well, to that point, I mean, what is the biggest problem at this point then you're trying to solve with this? The, the tough part is uh, prioritization on what you're building. Right. So you bring on these beta operators that are using your software and everyone has different needs that are very that are very specific to the type of um, transportation they do. Right. So maybe you have one operator who does a lot of airport pickups and maybe you have another one who does a lot of trips with 20 different stops. Right. So now do you integrate into uh, to allow airport pickups. Right. Think about like airline codes and stuff like that. Or. Do you uh, solve kind of the journey uh, of, of adding more stops to the product yeah. and making that uh, and prioritizing there? Uh, I think that's something that's really difficult. Also, since as founders, we're first time founders, 
and we're building a product for the first time. So often we have a ton of user empathy, but then converting that into a prioritized product roadmap, I think that's something that's that, that's very difficult at the moment. And with that too, Ruben, I mean, diving just a little bit deeper into that, because prioritization for any startup founder, there are so many options in terms of what you can be building, what you can be working on. And there's always these limited resources at any level where you, you can only do so many things. How are you thinking through that? Or like, what are the you know metrics or different like things you need to have like checkboxes for before you actually uh, implement something or decide to go one way or another? Like, how are you looking through the, you know, at the, the, those decisions with the business? I, I really like how you frame this, Justin. I have to say, you as as an entrepreneur, you're always going to be under-resourced for pretty much for forever, right? Maybe <laughs> yeah. at some point you feel like you have sufficient resources. But you almost just have to kind of accept that as a fact and then go from there rather than always feeling like one day I'll be, I will have enough resources and then we can build everything, right? That's, that, that's not the case. Even with Swoop, we've been at it for three years now. And we always feel like there's more things to solve, right? <laughs> it's going even faster. It's getting even crazier. So I, I think that's a good baseline. But to answer your question, how we prioritize today is that we prioritize the um, feature requests or bugs that affect current users. Because right now what we're trying to do is make a great product for our first batch of users, right? If you think about crossing the chasm kind of at the beginning um, of that bell curve that he draws, and we're really solving uh, for for their problem. So if we have two things on the on the product roadmap, if for one of them the source was an existing customer, that will likely be prioritized. And then on top of that, you have a pretty typical impact impact effort two by two, right? So you think about how much impact will this have and how much effort will this cost uh, for the company. And uh, if you're kind of in a quadrant there where the impact is incredibly high. And the effort isn't too high, then that's something that we're going to prioritize as well. Um, so that's that's mainly the exercise we go through as we think about prioritizing. Yeah, it's interesting to hear that because it is so so useful and beneficial to have some type of framework to go about it because it can it can seem just like where do we begin, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. And then even like I don't forget who it's from, but it's the whole idea of you know important and urgent versus important not urgent. And if you never get to some of those things, then like you never have those growth potentials uh, of the business. And there's so much of working on your business versus working in your business and kind of the day to day to keep things running, but also keeping in mind like. Where are we going and what helps us get there as well are some kind of just important things to think about. And I, I want to go through a lot more with, with Swoop, but even like stepping back a second here, you were working at Google, you're working at Facebook, and now you're a first-time founder. Why did you decide, though, to take that leap and go into entrepreneurship versus working at these, these big companies? I think the, the, the one thing I can say there is that I really, really enjoyed working at Google and at Facebook. So, you know, you often hear this narrative of like people got over their big corporate jobs and they wanted to start something themselves. That wasn't the case for me. I think Facebook was an incredible company to work for. I think it still is. Um, I think there just comes a time where it feels like it, it didn't feel like I was running from Facebook. It much more felt like I was running towards something new. Mm -hmm. And I think Swoop as an opportunity was incredibly uh, attractive for me in that it was a problem that I could solve. I could get my head around and I feel like I could add value to. There's a lot of other startups that are doing incredible work. And I'm sure, Justin, you talk to them all the time, but it's not something where I can add a ton of value, right? Maybe yeah. it's like a deep tech startup. 
uh, blockchain, crypto. Those are things that I don't understand in a depth where I could add value to the space. So I think that was something that was really relevant for me to swoop. And then it was just a, a real problem. I mean, if you look out, it's a little less during COVID, but even if you just drive around any city, you'll see a ton of buses and large vehicles. They usually have like a little TCP sticker on it. Anytime you see one of those, you can remember that there's no tech in that space yet, right? Yeah. That's something that we're building. And I think a problem that big was incredibly um, attractive for me. I think there's also something though to be said that if you're at a large company for too long, sometimes it's hard to go uh, into starting your own company, right? Obviously not always, but you, you sometimes have gotten a little bit too comfortable um, in, in the big space. So I'm, I'm happy that I was on, only quote unquote for uh, at Google and Facebook for I think a combined four years um, or three and a half years. I think that was a good kind of good length. And I learned a ton, obviously, and it, I have a lot of connections and, and friends from that time that I bring into Swoop today. Yeah, and Ruben, this actually echoes a conversation I had, I think it was last week, with with Swoopno, who is the co-founder of Swing Vision, and they're using basically just the camera on your phone to have like real-time like tracking and analytics for playing tennis, essentially. Uh, and he went from a uh, similar thing as you, uh, three or four years, I think it was, um, at Tesla, and then being like, I want to solve a different problem, just like you mentioned, of solving a different problem with your own company as a first-time founder. There's something to be said for wanting to solve problems and wanting to take that leap. Uh, for you, in in taking that leap from uh, from big company to then starting your own thing, what were the conversations like, or how did you tell like your parents, for instance? Yeah, such a good question. I thought you were going to ask how did I tell you know my manager at Facebook. <laughs> well, we can go there too, but. <laughs> That's not super interesting. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you, you asked um, with my parents. It's funny because I think, and, and, and maybe some of the listeners can agree with this. Parents inherently want the best things for you, but they don't understand uh, all of the things that we're working on, right? Most of the time. So from, for my mom, for example, initially, when I was at Google, she wanted me to stay there for forever. Right, because <laughs> and there's all this free food and crazy offices. She was like, "This is it," you know. And even making the jump to Facebook, which at the time was huge, right? But it wasn't as big as it was today. Yeah, felt to her crazy that I would even do that. So now making the jump to Swoop felt even crazier. And I think to this day they're very supportive, but they don't fully um, understand or appreciate all of the things uh, that I'm doing. And I, but I like that dynamic because I think that's the job of a parent, right? Is to kind of look after more of the safety and the security, right? And it's kind of the job of the children, you know, to kind of, uh, you know, be a rebel or, or to riot and to do, you know, maybe things that your parents don't uh, initially agree with. So um, that that's kind of what that was. My, my mom, my dad, though, always raised me to be independent. So when I was 11 years old, I was booking uh, travel for us. I was deciding where we go um, as a family trip. So I've never felt the need to get approval from my parents for a decision. So even with Swoop, it wasn't a conversation where where I asked them like, hey, do you guys think this is a good idea? It was more of a, I'm going to do this and I'm, I'm, I'm letting you know. Um, and that's also how they respected it, right? They didn't try to, to get me back. They just said, we trust you to make the best decision. If you need anything or if this doesn't work out, my dad always says we can we can plant uh, tomatoes in our backyard and sell those. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, I'm, I'm here. 
Yeah, that's amazing. I actually have a very similar like uh, situation with going all in on Just Go Grind and kind of being the same thing as you mentioned of not like asking your parents, more so telling them, hey, I'm pursuing this. I'm going after my dreams. Uh, we'll love your support, but I'm doing this regardless. I think it's a different like it's a different mindset, a different switch where they're like, oh, like how do we help you? Because we are your parents. We want to support you. You know, like that type of feeling of it when you when you go after your, your own business. Uh, I think it's important to have that conviction. It also shows you're serious about the business itself as well. Uh, and it's not just some some side thing or some project. You're like, oh, I'm going to dabble with this. Like, no, you're going all in on it. And and to that point, going from then these big companies to your own company, how on the funding side uh, did you did you go with that? Did you did you self finance initially? I know you recently raised a round, and we can get into mm-hmm. that. But initially, how did you fund Swoop? Yep. So yeah, it was our own capital. But and and the nice thing is that you can be, especially nowadays, you can be incredibly lean. You don't need a lot of money to start your company anymore because there's so many services available. I mean, a good example is think about payment 20 years ago. You know, like, how do you solve that? Now you just have Stripe and you can build yeah. on top of that. So easy. Stripe essentially is free. I mean, obviously, they, they then have their fees, but you you pretty much have the best payment uh, processing or payment merchant uh, in the world uh, just through using Stripe. You have the same with Twilio and Sendvid. We, we mentioned some of these uh, names. So I think it's a, it's a really good time to start a business and a good time to be lean. I think what we did initially is we also sourced a lot of rides for our operators. So we had some interesting partnerships early where we were going to companies and telling them, look, we have a thousand vehicles essentially all over the US that are ready to go. What do you need them for? Right. And then, for example, they would say we have a big gaming conference in Las Vegas coming up next month and we need 10 buses from you. And we would work on that deal um, and keep let's say around 20% of that and pay out the operator the rest. And that money we would get a month before the trip actually happened, right? So we did have some working capital at any given time that really helped us kind of stay above water. Um, And then we had very limited salaries at the beginning, sometimes even zero um, as, as we're growing the team. And then, yeah, and then you raise the round. We're still, obviously, I'm still not at where, you know, I kind of was at, at Facebook and Google, but I think uh, it's now enough to, to, to live a normal life. Yeah. And I think that's important. You, you note that. I mean, obviously, it's not going to be the same as big companies, but you're getting a different, you're getting obviously more upside in the future potentially, but also getting to run your own ship <laughs> is something to be said for that as well. I, I want to add one thing here. I, I think when we make these decisions, and I'm, I'm sure you, uh, people listening, people in your in, in your network, they, they make this decision to start something new, to undertake a new project. I think we so often make it around short-term financial benefits, right? So people are like, yeah. should I take this job? Yes, I would get 110K a year over 90 and then they make the job. I think as we make those decisions, it's much more important to first look at the skills that you can learn, the people that you'll need, and if those transpire post the project that you're undertaking. So with Swoop, for example, the people I'm meeting right now and the skills I'm learning, I'll have those for forever. And there's compound interest you get on those if you if you learn them early. And then the funny thing with the finances is they're often a byproduct of excellence, right? So it's even though I don't have the same money I do right now as I would have had I stayed at Facebook, I think if we look at 10 years from now and kind of do the, do the risk assessment there financially, it makes a yeah. lot more sense to eventually start your own thing rather than just always staying with the same company. 
Yeah, and I love that you bring that point up because that's something I've I've thought about a lot. Even looking for, I mentioned before we uh, started this interview that you graduated my MBA a matter of months ago, and you know you look at the typical MBA route and getting a 120, 30, 40, whatever K job uh, versus what I'm doing now, which is very very little. Uh, but playing the long game of being being able to meet interesting people on a day to day basis and really setting the foundation for what you want in your future moving forward, and you may take a hit in the short term, but the long term of where you're going, that compound effect is very real in terms of what it can become uh, in terms of business connections that you have, life connections you have, and other opportunities in the future. So I love that you brought that point up. And and one thing I want to talk about too, as we're still kind of thinking about this kind of funding side, knowing that initially you self-funded, how are you looking at though, once you're uh, with your co-founder, the equity side of it, not necessarily say specifics, but how are you looking at splitting equity, founder agreement, those types of things early on? I think here the main thinking we had was uh, who took the most risk early days, either financially or um, just who was there initially. So when I joined Swoop, I was kind of the last founder to join. The company had already been working for a year and I was always involved, but I was still at Facebook, right? So obviously my equity is going to be less than of the other two co-founders who've been there, uh, you know, since the early days. And I think looking at that risk assessment is incredibly important. I don't think it's always a good idea to just do 50-50 or you know, one, one third each founder um, because people put different time and, and different effort into the company. And I think that's totally fair. Um, so I that that's important. I think you also have to be really, really open with your founders and you have to talk about these things. And if you ever feel like you, know, you maybe didn't get what you deserve, I think it's important to bring that up. And even as you do financing rounds, there's always moments where you can reassess it a little bit, right? And you can maybe, you know, maybe someone can have a little bit more or less equity. And there's there's all these times where it gets reassessed. And I think it's important to have those conversations openly um, with, with the co-founders. And then in terms of the, the funding, I think it's just good if you set a goal, right? So let's say you're raising your, your seed. You can say, okay, we don't want to dilute more than 20% irrespective of the money that we're going to raise. We don't want to dilute more, right? So if you can raise 2 million, that's great. But maybe you can also raise 5 million, but still not dilute uh, more than 20%. And I think that's a good way uh, of thinking about it rather than just thinking about how much money you want to raise. Because let's say you want to raise 2 million, but now your valuation is at 5 million, right? Then you're diluting likely at at an unreasonable amount. And that's a good raise, even though you got the 2 million that you wanted. That's helpful to hear that on, on that side of things with the fundraising. Diving a little bit deeper into the fundraising, how long did that process go for you? And you mentioned being first-time founders. So I'm curious as to what your approach was for the fundraising side of things, having just closed you know, $3.2 million round. Yep. So we were lucky in that we had a pre-seed investor. They're called 122 West, AJ and Evan over there. And they were the most helpful pre-seed investor ever. And I don't say these things lightly, also because I'm a woman. So I'm very realistic and, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not someone to over-exaggerate. But I think they were incredible in supporting us. So they also helped us in not making too many of the, of the initial mistakes. I think one good thing that you can remember as you raise money is you're going to get 30 to 50 rejections before you get your first yes. And just knowing that ahead of time, puts you at ease because as you're getting the no's then you're like, oh, this was part of the plan, right? I'm still only at 18, 19, 20. So we're all good. And I think that's something that we that we told ourselves. 
And the other thing is that you want to be very, um, you, you want to be very deliberate. I often hear founders say, oh, I'm always raising, you know, we're, we're always on. I think it's important to just, you know, put a month or two aside and say, all right, during this time, we're going to raise. If it doesn't work out, we'll continue building the business and we'll try again in six months. Um, and that's kind of what we did. We had a month where we said, all right, this is where we do all of the meetings. And then you start uh, segmenting it. So you put a list together, say, these are the 50 VCs we want to go after. These are our tier one, tier two, th tier three um, investors that are a good fit for our company. And then you start with the tier three, then you move up to the tier two and you move up. And then finally you move up to the tier one. There's two reasons of approaching it like that. The first one is obviously that you get some practice. If you start with the VCs that are not as good of a fit for your company. And the other good thing is this, that if one of them agrees, you now have a term sheet or you now have a yes, and you can take that into your next meetings. You can go to the meeting of your tier one investor and say, look, we already have two term sheets of people that want to invest, right? What are kind of the, the terms that you can give us? So that's kind of how we approached it. It never goes as rigorous and as smoothly as you expect, but at yeah. a high level, you want to you wanna approach it. Um, and I, I think that was a good way for us to approach it. Um, and how did you, how, yeah. Yeah. And with that too, I mean, how did you get those intros or how did you get in contact with those VCs? Cause obviously typically it's a warm intro thing, but when you are also a first time founder, I'm curious on how you were going about getting those intros, getting those meetings with people just for context for other people who are raising money. Great question, Justin. I think, I think this is really important also for us, right? My parents are not in VC. My parents are not in, in the business world. They're both in Germany. Um, so it's, I, I didn't have a huge network. I knew obviously some people through Facebook and Google, but it wasn't like I knew all of these VC people. I think still though, we all know people maybe that can make an intro. So yeah. what we did is on Airtable, we had a list of like people that could intro us to VCs. And um, we had a set email for them. It was a three sequence email and we, um, or three email sequence. And we sent, we sent it to them and asking them for an intro of the VCs that we had on our list or anyone else that they can uh, intro us to. And I think it's especially good if you can get a founder intro. So if you know founders in your network that can introduce you, I think those are often really strong intros. So if there were a hierarchy of intros, I would say the best intro you can get is from an existing investor, right? We've invested in these guys. They're now raising their series A, right? You want to be on board. Yeah. The second best or maybe tied for first place is from a fellow founder, right? Like my friend Ruben is an incredible founder. You should invest in these guys. And then the third is just from a, from a friend or from maybe a colleague or someone you work with. I think an intro you want to stay away from is from investors that have rejected you, right? So if you have a pitch, they say, no, don't ask that investor for an intro. Yeah, because the other if the investor that was introed, it will then say, well, why didn't you invest if this is such a good idea? Right. Of course. Of but course. It's like a true misfit. I wouldn't I kind of wouldn't go down that road. And I think, it, again, it's a good time we live in because you can get all of the VCs emails addresses. So if you can't get an intro, you just do a great uh, cold outreach. And all VCs now have this, you know, again, founder friendly, they call it, of, of getting back to all of their, um, uh, all of their uh, messages or all of their emails. So usually there's also a way for a cold outreach. And I would save that as a last resort. So those VCs that you didn't get an intro to, you can just send their cold outreach to. 
Yeah, and there's a couple of things I want to highlight from what you mentioned. One thing, and the, and the most recent thing you said with kind of going reaching out cold, on that note, any traction you can show is going to be really helpful uh, in that process. I know Brian Conyer from Giblib had mentioned that once he had gotten traction to get more funding, it was so, such an easier conversation where they're like, this is what we've done. This is this is the beginning of this hockey stick growth, you know, that type of thing as, as being kind of one part of it. And another thing to keep in mind, I heard this from I'm trying to think who it was. I can't remember exactly who it was, but they mentioned recently of in terms of getting those, you know, CEOs, and other founders introducing you to venture capitalists, they're putting their reputation on the line for you. So it's yeah. like, make make sure one, you've built those relationships up with other founders and two, like make it worth their time by being very, very prepared. If you're going to get an intro uh, from another founder who's putting you know, their reputation on the line. So just something I want to highlight for others who are maybe raising or consider raising uh, anytime yeah. soon as well. Yeah, real quick, Justin, it's, the traction piece is also important for the valuation of your company. Right. So like, yeah. let's say you have no traction, you raise hundred K you dilute 10%. So you have traction. Now you raise hundred K the same money, but you only have to dilute 2% because your company is worth much more. So I think that's a really, really important starting point is that you should pretty much, unless you're like in biotech or you're creating a drug or something like that, you should yeah. mainly in tech only raise if you have some traction. Um, I, I think that's incredibly important. Yeah, absolutely, Ruben. And, and one thing I want to go, you know, into with with Swoop is the business model behind it. How you kind of figured out your pricing? Tell me more about that side of things, Ruben. Yeah. So first, in the early days, we just wanted to create an Uber for party buses, right? Because there's all of these vehicles on the uh, in in the work in the U.S. Let's say, and they're all not being utilized. Five percent vehicle utilization. That's what we thought about, and that's what we wanted to build. But we quickly, as I said, realized that that wasn't a thing. And that's when we came to realize that the issue was that they don't have technology and we built the SaaS for them. So it's important that there was this journey, right? And with the pricing, the pricing on the SaaS right now, we're still in beta, so we're figuring that out. But essentially what we're thinking about is um, how much value does this add to your business and using that as the initial um, qualifier to, to price it. And then... Um, obviously discount it for, for early users and, and take it from there. So I think at the beginning, it's totally fine if the pricing is a little bit case by case um, and, and then you scale up from there. So to be completely transparent, I think on the SaaS pricing, um, we, haven't, we, we, we haven't found the winning formula yet. In terms of the price, because the other business model that we have is that we also source new deals for our operators. So the operators have the vehicles but we go out and we do the business development for them because our uh, thinking is that we can do that a lot better because we have a young team that knows how to how to source leads and many of these operators are a little bit more outdated and on that the the operators have special rates that they give to us because we essentially buy and wholesale if you want to call it call it that yeah. because we have partnerships with them all the time that they give us better rates so the end customer gets a better price with Swoop than if they went to some of these operators directly. And we do a lot of the heavy lifting because we also source the deal, but then we also do all of the other relationship management that we have um, with these operators. So the pricing there is just that we have a take rate of anywhere. It really depends on the deal, but it's anywhere from like 12 to 20%. On that note, Ruben, how are you going about sourcing those deals in the first place? Yeah, so especially, I mean, this is a relevant question also for COVID. So you have to imagine that most of the business we're doing, or all of the business before COVID was people transportation in groups, 
Right? Yeah. So you could argue that we have the worst COVID business model in the world. No one's <laughs> moving, especially not in groups. Yeah. Um, so we did. So one thing we did is we thought about who still has to move. So we do some like essential worker transportation. Right. If you think about, I think often when we think about the front line and essential, we think about the healthcare workers. There's also a lot of other people that still have to work. A lot of factory workers, a lot of drivers have to work and we're doing their transportation. So getting them to and from work. And we have some partnerships with, with huge companies there where we've been supporting them. And then the cooler thing that I'm really proud of is we're also doing goods transportation now because we have the vehicles and we have the drivers. Yeah. And we didn't, it's not a huge pivot. It's not like we started making masks or anything, right? We're still in our <laughs> business model. But we said rather than um, rather than moving people, we're going to move goods, and that's what we're doing. So we're doing a lot of produce delivery, doing a lot of uh, packages, and then also some of the the people transportation for those same companies. And how we're going about that is really just uh, it's it's a sales development rep, right? Like a SDR motion, yep. where we have someone who reaches out, often cold. Also a great use of your existing investors. We ask them for intros, you know, like, hey, do you know anyone at Walmart? Hey, do you know anyone here? And then they make intros for us. Um, but it's it's mainly through cold outreach, providing them with the value. Um, and, and that's how we've sourced some of these deals. Yeah. And Ruben, I, I, with the business as well, I'm thinking about this business model. Obviously, you've had to adapt because of COVID. And that's a great example of how you've, you've switched it, understanding, okay, well, what still needs to be moved? <laughs> and I think especially during you know COVID situation, everyone having to pivot, a lot of people having to pivot, let me be clear, not everyone, uh, but most people having to pivot on that side of things. It's, it's cool to see how you've done that. One thing I'm really curious about, though, is looking at the different cities that you, you're operating in, how are you evaluating new markets, deciding which ones to get into. Because like you said earlier in this, this episode, it's all about prioritization. How are you viewing that side of things, Ruben? So here, the main proxy we look at is where we have the business, right? So we have a partner right now and they have a lot of trips in Chicago. And that kind of then directs us to do more in Chicago and get operators there, get them onboarded on our software and use them for those trips. Um, and that's how we've eventually, that's how we've slowly grown. And then now we're truly nationwide. So I would say any city that has more than 500,000 uh, people, even many that are smaller, Swoop is present in. Um, but initially it was, for example, we had a partnership with uh, Google and then Google wanted to do a lot of trips with us in Austin. And then we moved to Austin, right? And that's kind of how we did it. We didn't do any of this uh, city um you know, like launching city by city, as you know, maybe from an Uber or Lyft. Right. Um, we, we didn't do any of that. Um, we just kind of followed where the customer was going. And even as we think about prioritization, we talked about product prioritization earlier. We often look at the customer and then walk backwards, right? So we look at what the customer wants and the tool, and that's how we prioritize um, a lot of the uh, a lot of the decisions. And with this too, I mean, a lot of decisions having to be made, obviously many different things having to be done within the business itself. How did you decide early on, and take me through how it's evolved though, but with you and your co-founders, the kind of roles, responsibilities, who's working on what, how we're separating things out. Uh, I'm curious about that side of things as well with Swoop. So in general, if we think about decision-making, we stole it a little bit from the VCs, from the venture capitalists and like redlining and just having separate meetings where we make decisions. I think that's something that's important. And we bring some decisions to the table and I say, hey, look, I wanna hire this person or I wanna do this and that. And we discuss that decision, often even purposely having one person 
in the room that has a different opinion to the other two, just to, uh, just as an exercise to kind of entertain all different angles of a decision. Um, smaller decisions you just want to make, right, on, on the go. But for larger ones, um, that's, th that's how we do it. In terms of the roles and responsibilities, it's another great question, Justin, because we actually created a doc. So we have a Notion doc where we have our roles and responsibilities. The important thing is that the planning and the exercise of creating roles and responsibilities between the team is 80% of the value uh, that, that you're going to get. It's just around planning and talking about it. Yeah. And it's important to also just be honest with the team. Like, look, we're, we're a young startup and we're all kind of going to be a little bit in each other's business. But this is my space, right? This is what I'm responsible for. So if it does well or if it doesn't do well, it's on me. But we're not big enough yet where you have clear cut lines but just the, just the exercise is already really important to do. So it's something I would suggest for other founders to do as well, to just kind of write that down. Yeah, I think those are so important. And to your point, the conversations themselves, like just having that communication with your co-founders on what this is going to be and wh where everyone kind of stands on those things seems like it's such an important thing to have, Ruben. And yeah. and, and with Swoop, I mean, what is, we've kind of talked a little bit about this, but what is the the big vision? Like, where are you trying to go with this company? Obviously, you just raised a $3 million round, uh, where's the future? What's what's the big vision for this company? What we're doing right now, if you look at it from a high level, is we're aggregating the supply side, right? So we have all of these supplier, suppliers, again, being the people who own the vehicles. We're centralizing all of that onto our platform because now they all use the same software. And that gives us insight into where vehicles are at any given time, availability, pricing, all of these things. Now you have this aggregated supply side and that allows us to do a lot of cool things on the demand side, right? So whether it'll be uh, instant booking is something we can move into or just giving a, an accurate ETA for a vehicle. Um, pricing, we can have transparent pricing so you actually know how much these vehicles are gonna cost. Um, I think that's really the long-term vision is to make all of these vehicles accessible to everyone in a way that's fair and that's transparent for every for any customer that wants to book anything from an SUV up to a charter bus. The, the, the second thing that I can mention here is that also, if you look at what Shopify does for their, for their sellers, for their entrepreneurs, it's they provide the entire business for the entrepreneur. So if you want to sell iPhone cases right on, on Shopify, they provide everything for you. Yeah. The website, the payment, everything you need. And then you just kind of sell the product. That's what we also want to do for our operators. So we'll provide them with the business, right? Sourcing new leads. We'll provide them with mechanics, with buying the vehicles, insurance, anything they need to run their business, we'll provide them with, and they can get it through Swoop. And they focus on what, they, what they're best at, buying new vehicles, hiring drivers, and making sure that the experience is excellent. And everything that's around there, um, Swoop, Swoop solves for. And Ruben, to that point, again, with the drivers and with the operators and the, themselves, how are you kind of gathering that feedback, that data from them, and then using that to prioritize? I know we talked about how you're prioritizing based on the users and the operators, but how are you actually going about that? Because I know other people I've talked to have kind of implemented it into the, the, the product itself, the platform itself. How are you doing that, that at Swoop? Yep. So the, at a high level, this is not a tangible answer, but at a high level, you have to really be, and this is, this is such an overused phrase, but you really have to be obsessed with your customers to a point where you're almost bothering them. So we try, <laughs> for every user that we have, 
we talk to on a weekly basis. We do a meeting where we just check in on everyone. Like, how's everyone doing? What's the feedback that they've given? We also created this uh, analytics dashboard where we can see how often people have logged in and all of these kinds of things. So we know where usage drops or where usage is increased. So that's kind of the data side of gathering feedback on, on what's happening in the product today. And then on the more tangible side, we just have a, so we have a Facebook and a WhatsApp group with all of our users where they can always give us feedback. We also have a, we also, again, we have a Notion document that they all have access to where they can just put in feature requests. It works really easily. And then all of us get pinged, especially the founders. We get an email with a feature request. The nice thing about that is you also see them sometimes requesting things that are already in the product. And they're like, mm. oh, we already have this, but we just need to educate them better. Um, so that's kind of the, the intangible and tangible answer of, of how we do this on a daily basis. Yeah, and I think it's important you, you bring those things up because it's, it's helpful to get that because user feedback, especially early on, I mean, even continuing on is important, but especially early on is so important. You hear of companies like Superhuman doing it so well to yeah. adjust their product and make it just something that people are obsessed with and other startup founders can definitely do the same. And and Ruben, from being a first-time founder here and you know having been a co-founder and working on this the last number of years, I mean, what have been maybe the biggest challenges along the way uh, with this journey you've taken? I think the, the hardest part is hiring and putting together a really good team. That's been the, the, the toughest part for us. Uh, also, we're an LA-based company, right? So the technical talent is maybe not as available as in, as in other parts. Not to use that as an excuse, but it's more of just getting creative as a founder in order to get together a really good team because most of uh, the employees are, are technical here at Swoop. I would say that's that that's probably been been the biggest challenge on a more personal level, right? If you don't look at it from from a Swoop perspective, it's just been it's just been it's kind of the expectation setting or the prioritization for yourself and what this journey entails. And I think when you come into a startup, you know it's going to be difficult, and you know it's going to be uh, long nights at times or just also emotionally draining. But when you actually go through it, it's a different feel, right? And I think going through that on a weekly basis, kind of the, the stress it puts on a, lot of, on a lot of the relationships that you've established, I think that's something that continues to be challenging, um, but it also gets easier. So I would say the first year was a lot tougher than it is now, but that's, that's kind of been probably the toughest part for me personally. And that is definitely such a, a difficult thing because we hear this and every founder has heard how difficult it is to build a company and to create a startup. For you then, how have you managed that or what's been helpful for you going through that to manage the stresses of a startup? Uh, I'm really curious what your answer would be to that. Yeah. One, you just have to be open with the people that are close to you, right? So think about maybe it's your partner or your best friends, your roommates, your parents, your family, whomever. You have to be open with them ahead of time. I think just having that conversation, like I'm about to do something that's likely going to take a lot of my time and there's going to be times where I'm super frustrated. I think just kind of qualifying that ahead of time is probably important and something I definitely didn't do and I wish I had. It's actually not that tough of a conversation to have. You can just kind of, you know, almost warn people. Um, and the other thing is you, and again, this is so generic, but for example, I try to work out every day. So this morning I went on a run, right? And I think that's something that's important. Um, even before checking your phone and checking your email, 
Um, and then the other thing that I do is I just delete a lot of apps during the week that I think drive me crazy. And I think we all know which ones those are. Uh, yeah, I just want to make sure that I'm also giving, giving some tangible advice. And then what I really do when it gets really, really tough, Justin, and we'll see if we keep this in the podcast because it's a, it's, it's, it's a little bit crazy, I think, but it always works for me, is I just remind myself of how unimportant I am in this huge right ecosystem of a world that we have yep. so I think about 8 billion people all of these animals all of the things that are going on and then we're as a planet just one of billions in our galaxy and our galaxy is just one of trillions right in the universe then and when i remind myself of that it's almost like i see myself from a meta perspective and it just reminds me that everything is okay and i'm just you know, happy and grateful to be here. And that's something that helps me in like the really crazy and the really stressful moments. I think it, well, one, I would never cut that out. And, and two, <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually something that I thought about a lot. And I think through reading, through reading a number of books and kind of taking different perspectives, you get to that point where you can have a really good perspective like that, where you take the the big picture approach. You're like, wait a minute, like as maybe Joe Rogan says, like we're just chimps and you know doing our little chimp things on Earth here. Um, but like having the perspective of like it's not that big of a deal in some ways, and obviously it's a big deal. And you want to do well for your investors in, in that way, but when you really kind of take back the perspective of it, it's like it's going to be okay. <laughs> like, like it's going to be okay. You're building this company, but you'll be fine. And, uh, things will be all right. And I think that's helpful because it can seem in, in the thick of it. So all consuming of like, this is everything, you know? And I think it's helpful that you mentioned that. And I kind of had that same perspective a number of times when things have gotten more difficult on things that I've been working on. It's like, okay, just take a step back. Like, okay, we're going to be all right from this. And, and Ruben, where can people go to learn more about swoop and all you're working on? Yep. So I think a, a great place is just swoopapp.com. That's also our consumer-facing product for booking vehicles, right? So if anyone ever needs anything or if anyone works anywhere that ever needs any type of transportation, they can go there. I think it's probably the most uh, useful resource for also your listeners. And then um, at, we're on Instagram at swoop. I think that's kind of a fun way to follow our journey as well. Um, so I think those are probably the best uh, resources to find us. Perfect. And I will be sure to link everything up as well in the show notes at justgogrind.com slash podcast. Everything kind of talked about in this episode as well. Ruben, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today, man. Yeah, I, I really appreciate it. I think something's also to be said about, I, I almost feel like someone should do a podcast episode with you because you're also <laughs> your own business, right? And I'm sure you have a ton of, ton of great thoughts. Also, things you're learning from all of these podcast guests. So, Oh yeah, there's so many things. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you justgrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.